Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The mental health journey is two steps forward, one step back, and you've got to keep remembering that you've gone one step forward. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb, and this show is dedicated to ending the stigma around mental health through community, connection, and the hard-hitting truth. I'll be speaking with guests from all over the world about life to inspire and to educate people to speak up so that we can save more lives. Thank you for joining me on this journey. everyone and welcome back onto it ain't week to speak my name is sam webb and bloody hell this year has gone quick hasn't it it's the end of september i cannot believe how fast this last two years has gone or near two years obviously since the pandemic began anyway guys i hope you guys are all staying well i hope you're looking after yourselves and uh wherever you're up to right now while you're listening to this i hope it includes some downtime and you can really really take this episode in because it's going to be a great one Outside of all that, welcome to all the new listeners from around the world, wherever you are. Thank you for putting your trust in myself and living and listening to us today and and learning about some very important discussions around mental health and suicide prevention. My guest today is such a beautiful human. His name is Sir John Kerwin. Some of you might know him from New Zealand. He's a Kiwi legend. The guy played 63 test matches for the All Blacks from 1984 to 1994. And he was part of the 87 Rugby World Cup team. So for those of you who don't know, the All Blacks are arguably one of the best sports teams, not just in New Zealand. They're probably one of the best sports teams in the entire world, if not the best. He was extremely successful during those years at the club. Apart from that, he also had some success with the Warriors as a coach, including on the international stage with Italy and Japan. But away from all that, I really want to talk to JK about his near suicide attempt while he was on tour playing for the All Blacks many years ago. I want to really dig deep into that discussion and that story because I want to find out what kept him quiet during those years and the stigma that surrounds mental health, obviously. But apart from all of that, he started an amazing organization called Mentemia or Mentemia. It's a mental well-being platform that embeds mental well-being into workplace cultures and it really helps individuals build great well-being habits day to day. But I want to speak to JK about that here on the podcast uh, so that we can you know, learn some tools and techniques that can improve our lives. And I think that that's what this is all about. But apart from all of that, he's got an extremely bold vision to help improve the daily mental well-being of 100 million and save 100,000 lives. So the guy is going above and beyond than what he's already achieved. But without further ado, why don't we just get him on the podcast? Because he is a funny man. Let's go. Well, I'm so stoked to have him on the line right now. He's pulled over his car, believe it or not. He's, he's on the way to get his vaccination. Welcome onto the podcast, Sir John Kerwin, otherwise known as JK. Yeah, just call me JK. Man, like, if, if you call me... You know when, you know when you're in trouble... 
when you're a kid, you know, and your mother used to go, John, that's what it feels like when someone calls me sir. Does yeah, it? Yeah. Feel like you're in trouble. My head, head, you get the sir in front of your name anyway. I, I want to know. Yeah, no, it's a pretty interesting process, actually. So I've firstly got a member of the British Empire for my services to rugby. But then I sort of became the face of mental health in New Zealand. The knighthood was for giving back to the community in the mental health space. So this guy rang me one day, and I thought he, I thought he was taking the piss, mate. Like He rang me and, excuse me, Mr. Kerwin, would you like to accept an NZZ or whatever? I don't know. I had all these initials. And I said, mate, what the, what, what the hell's that? You know, he said, oh, basically, it's the knighthood. And I went, oh, nah, I'm all good with that, mate, because I thought you had to be an old bastard or something, you know. And I was a bit scared of it, to be fair. And so I actually rang my mum. My mum's since passed. But I said, mum, you know, I've been asked to to do this. And I don't really think I should accept it. And she said to me, why did you do your mental health work to start with? And I said, oh, to help one person, mum. And she said, well... If you accept the knighthood, do you think you'd help people get hope? And I went, yeah, yeah, I do, mum. She said, well, maybe you should think about accepting it. And then I said, oh, yeah, thanks for the advice, mum. She was really wise, you know. And, and just before I hung up, she said, oh, but just one other thing. If you accept it, you have to commit the rest of your life to your community and keep doing it. So I thought, oh, shit, I better take a bit of time to think about that, you know, because sharing your journey in mental health sometimes can be tiring and sometimes you just want to hide away you know because it takes so much energy so anyway i made the decision and accepted and um yeah here i am talking to you Mate, that's unreal congratulations obviously you've probably had a lot of those over the years with all the great work that you do and you know we could probably sit here and talk for hours on end about your rugby career and all the great you know achievements you've done coaching teams and, and whatnot around the world I hear that you're not just bilingual. I, I hear you can talk three different languages as well, which probably comes with, with the travel, does it? Or how's that work? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I, I say I'm really, really bad in three three languages, Italian, Japanese, and English. So, <laughs> What a skill set. Rugby has given me so much, Sam. I'm just so fortunate. You know, I was a butcher from Mangere, left school when I was 15, never passed an exam in my life. And I was very, very fortunate from mum and dad or God or Allah or whoever you believe in, you know, gave me the gift of rugby and it took me all over the world. You know, I've lived in Italy. I've married an Italian. I've lived in Italy half my life. I went to Japan. I was at the end of my career. I finished with rugby, played a couple of years of rugby league with the Warriors, which was a fantastic experience. And then I got offered to go and finish my career in Japan. I never, ever thought I'd go to Japan and play rugby. And I went and saw my dad and I thought, you know, I'm sort of 30 now. Why am I going to Japan? And he said to me, son, when you're my age and you look back on life, three years is nothing. He said, there's no such thing as a bad experience. There's just an experience. And so I went there thinking this is going to be really interesting. And I absolutely fell in love with the people, the place. Still got great mates there. Love going back. You know, an ability to play a sport has given me so much back that I feel really, really, you know, fortunate. There's so many different, you know, years that you played for and whatnot. Over the years and for the people that may not know who you are and the, and the sport you played, obviously Rugby Union, you played for the All Blacks, you did 63 or so test matches for your country, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, back in those days we played a lot of games. So I played 96 games for the All Blacks, 63 tests. Nowadays they don't play any games, but back in my day, we used to play midweek games and stuff, you know, good old-fashioned stuff. 
I was never a professional rugby player until the end of my career. I actually was an amateur up until uh, signing for the New Zealand Warriors was the first time I got paid to play. So I was an amateur, so I'm an old bastard, basically. Yeah, and then the last three years of my rugby career in Japan were professional. Yeah, yeah. mate, that's awesome. And what, out of all of the years that you, you played footy in the union and everything else, what has been your biggest achievement when we talk about football? What's been your biggest achievement? It's a really, really interesting question because it's like I never existed in that world. And I think it's part of because I suffered, you know, a mental health episode during my career and really learned not to dwell on the past. Sometimes when I talk about my career, it's like it's another person. I really don't think too much about yesterday. And even now, I don't do that. And then I don't really worry too much about tomorrow either. And I think that's part of my daily mental health plan on staying well and keeping well. And so when I look back on my career, it's like thinking about someone else. I mean, I was really fortunate that I won everything that I set out to achieve. But I think the biggest highlights for me were just the friendships and the life that it gave me. Like I said, I married an Italian. I met her while I was playing for Benetton, Treviso. Um, I've been really, really fortunate to have three beautiful kids who are bilingual and they live in two different cultures. So I think it was just the richness of life that it gave me. And I think back in the day, I was tied up in how I played and I identified myself through my sport, which is really, really dangerous. You know, I know that you're an actor and there's a lot of times where you have to learn a character. It was a bit like that for me. Like I was living, if I played badly, I was shit all week. And if I played well, I was up. Is that because you put all your worth and all your self-worth as an identity into your achievements on the field? Is that right? Totally. Totally. I was my sport emotionally. How do you disconnect from that though? Well, you have to. You have to. In so many sports, people do this, and it's really, really important. So a lot of sports people suffer at the end of their career because all of a sudden the phone stops ringing. All of a sudden no one gives a shit about you. Your wages stop. You know, There's a whole lot of different things that go on in your life. So it's really interesting. People talk about balance in life, and I think that's bullshit. I think you've got to manage your imbalance. But when I mean balance in life for a sports person, you can't just concentrate on your sport because you then identify a lot of what's going on with your career, with your personality and your person. And, and that's definitely where I was as a youngster. You know, I couldn't identify or couldn't separate myself from my sport. It'd be very dangerous. It'd be very dangerous, especially as a young fella growing up and, and having, like you said, everything going on. And yeah, just be a lot of pressure to take on. And, and then the pressure that you put on yourself is probably just works against you, I guess. I was suffering from anxiety and I was ignoring it. So during my career, I probably started getting anxious as a 13 or 14 year old. Do you remember why? Well, they called it homesickness back then. So, you know, they would probably call it separation anxiety. So go on a school camp, get homesick, cry, have to get picked up, you know. Imagine that in a boys' school. Lucky I could go up and defend myself as a footy player, right? I don't know what would have happened if I didn't have footy or something. So, you know, for me, it was the shyness, this fear of failure, this fear of wanting to be accepted, and that would manifest itself in anxiety. But I didn't know what it was back then. It was called homesickness, called shyness, called all sorts of different stuff. So I just kept ignoring it. And it wasn't wasn't debilitating. You know, I could have come and then go away, and I was still playing footy, still happy. It wasn't really changing the way you lived your life, so to speak. Well, I just ignored it. I just thought it was something that was part of my life. Yeah, but it wasn't really affecting me except in those moments. And then I made the provincial side 
you know, if you're from Australia, it'd be like making the Queensland side or the New South Wales side. Or if you're in America, it'd be like the LA Lakers side. And I was 18, right? And then the following year, I made the All Blacks. So I'm 19 and I've now made the national side. And and then the, the, the anxiety attacks started to come a little bit more frequent. And, you know, I remember one morning I went and did a radio interview and I came down, you know, after the interview into my car and my world changed. I'd been on the show, right? This guy called Kevin Black, man. He was bouncing off the walls. I don't know what shit he was on, man, but he was on something. He was going for it. But he cracked a bottle of champagne in the morning, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. He's cracked a bottle of champagne and we're yahooing and talking about all sorts of different shit. And going 100 mile an hour. Yeah, just going a hundy, mate. And I've got all this energy and blah, blah, blah. I go down into my car and my whole world changes. It was like being in a sardine can. My heart started going, I started sweating. And I could not move, man. I just could not move. And the thoughts that I was having back then, and this is what I didn't know because this is the illness, I thought it was a weakness, not an illness, right? So anything that happened to me, I thought it was me. You were labeling yourself weak, not good enough, never going to be enough. Okay, yeah, for dangerous, man. Exactly, right? So I'm sitting in the car and I'm thinking, if I drive this car, I'm going to drive it off the Harbour Bridge. If I drive this car, I'm going to drive it into a pole at 100 miles an hour. And that thought scared me so much that I was paralyzed for 40 minutes. And then I finally get myself home, driving, shitting myself, driving myself home like at 30K, went to bed. And when I woke up, I was fine. I thought, shit, I'm not having champagne in the morning anymore. <laughs> you know, blamed it on something else, you know. And then they just kept coming. And, and what happens with anxiety? So anxiety, as you know, anxiety and depression are two different illnesses, but one can fall into the other. And that's what happened to me. So I'm ignoring these anxiety attacks, but every time they leave a scar, and I reckon that scar is fear, so you start living in fear of when they're going to jump out of the cupboard and grab you. And how are you going to manage it next time? What what location? Am I going to be around my friends? Am I going to be around a girl that I like? Like, fuck. Yeah, exactly, man. Or am I going to be on the footy field, which happened to me in the past, you know? So, so you start living in fear, and then I call depression just the anxiety attack not going away. So it's with you 24-7 and just messing with you, you know? So, yeah, I think it was a, a really big part of my life since I was 13 or 14. Did you speak about it, man, on the field or with your teammates back then? I know the times have changed, you know? Like, these days we see a lot of a lot of stigma being reduced and people speaking about it willy-nilly, which is great. But back then, I, you know, I wasn't even born back then. Could you speak to your mates on the field? Like, when did you open up? No, so I didn't. My reference to mental health was one flow of the cuckoo's nest. So I thought if I told someone I was going to get locked up, and I can laugh about it now, but that was a real fear of mine back then, right? So I didn't talk to anyone about it. So I'm hiding my anxiety, talking to no one, suffering. And depression and anxiety does three things. Takes away your self-esteem, takes away your self-confidence, and takes away your enjoyment in life, right? So life's pretty shitty without those three things. And then I was also having suicidal ruminations. I feel really fortunate that I didn't organize my own suicide, but I thought about it often. When you're in this state, a minute feels like an hour, an hour feels like a day, and a day feels like a week. I'd just gone through a day. I was on tour away from my support network, and I'm just absolutely freaking out. And the windows open on the 10th floor of the Hilton in Buenos Aires, and I think, if this, I'm sick of fighting this shit, I'm going to run and jump out. And my teammate lying next to me said to me, for no reason, just out of the blue, JK, you've got a good heart. And that saved my life. 
Who's your teammate? Uh, his name's Michael Jones. He's also a knight, Sir Michael Jones. Yeah. We often talk about it because I didn't tell anyone, right? I told people way later, you know, and I said, why do you say it? And he's really religious. And he said that God must have told him to say it. And I said, shit out. If God knows who I am, I'm pretty happy. But, you know what I mean? <laughs> but that was so scary. That was the moment that sort of got me to reach out. So I didn't say anything at the time. I played a test match for my country the next day, scored two tries. It was like watching myself in a dream. It's like watching myself from the stand. But then when I did fly home, I reached out to my doctor and I started this journey. You know who my doctor was? My doctor was the all black doctor. We'd just been on tour for five weeks. So the same doctor you went and saw when you got home was your team doctor who you didn't even speak to during the playing group. Yeah, because I mate, I thought it was a weakness, yeah, right? Mate, it's, uh... I thought it was a weakness. I thought I wasn't good enough. I thought, you know, JK, you can't cope with shit, mate. You can't cope with being an all You can't cope with the pressure. You know, you're not good enough. You're an imposter. What are you thinking? And so all those symptoms, which are part of the illness, were stopping me realizing that there is help out there. There's a lot of help out there, mate. And, and I'm sure, you know, we'll talk about that in a moment. But from what I'm hearing you say, that was almost like a turning point in your life. And, and you could kept playing. You ended up going to Japan. You mentioned you've played for the Warriors. You've been a coach. You've done all this great stuff. You've married a, an amazing woman in, in Italy, spent half a year there. Has it gone away? Yeah, look, for me, the greatest thing that happened was that moment in that hotel room. So I came home and reached out to my doctor. And first thing he says to me, JK, you've got anxiety and depression. I went, what do you mean? It's a something. He said, yeah. It's an illness. And I went, what? I'm not going insane. And he goes, no, no, you can work on this shit. So I go, wow. And then he says to me, you need to go and see someone. I said, pissed off, I'm not going to see someone. <laughs> right? So the next breath he says, go and see someone about you. Yeah, this is the same guy that's taking 200 milligrams from Voltaren down his gob to play footy. Right? You know, I'm the first one on the physio table. I'm the first one getting a massage, trying to be the best physical person I could be. But I don't want to go and see someone for my brain. Doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't make sense, mate. There's no logic there whatsoever, is there? There is no logic at all. There's no logic in mental health, brother. There's no logic when you're in that space, right? There's just logics out the door. And look, I laugh about some of the stuff because that's my brain, right? That I've got to laugh at stuff, otherwise I cry. So sometimes I laugh at this shit because the mental health journey is two steps forward, one step back. And you've got to keep remembering that you've gone one step forward. So Doc hounds me, I go on antidepressants, I'm not feeling much better, I get a little bit of balance into my life so I don't get as edgy on the antidepressants. And he says, right, you've got to go and see someone. So I finally give in and go and see someone, right? I sit down and this guy says to me, JK, you're a volcano. Can you feel all this power inside you, you know? Can you feel the energy? I don't want to be a volcano, you dick, right? I just want to get well. And I'm sure the volcano dude helped a lot of people, but he certainly didn't help me. And I walked out of that room going, I told you, Doc. And like I said, this is a really, really important thing. You've got to connect with the person that's trying to help you. The volcano guy, I'm sure, was a good man, helped a lot of people. But man, at that moment, I didn't need to hear that volcano shit, you know what I'm saying? And so it sent me back. So I said to Doc, man, like, and he said, look, JK, it's important you connect with someone you didn't connect with this guy try someone out and the second person changed my life forever so this is how dumb it was back then i book an hour before my hour and an hour after right because i was embarrassed can you believe this shit 
So anyway, I walk in, I sit down and she goes, rugby player, eh? I go, yeah, rugby player. She says, what would you do if you had a tight hamstring? I said, I'll stop and stretch it, you know? She said, okay, you've stopped and stretched it. You get up and run and it gets really, really tight. What would you do then? I said, well, I'd stop. I'd ice it and go to the physio. She said, your brain's no different. I went, oh, shit hot. I've got a hamstring in the head. What's the ice? And who's a physio? And I knew that alcohol wasn't the ice because I used to get absolutely shit-faced. And it gave me a little bit of relief. In the moment it does, but it comes back with a vengeance. Yeah. Next day, you get smacked around the head with a freaking sledgehammer. It makes it 20 times worse. So I knew that alcohol wasn't the ice. And so when I took that approach, I thought, okay, what is the ice and who is the physio? And those two things were, I'm going to learn the tools and techniques that are going to take me from just surviving to what I'm doing now, which is thriving. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and see the experts, right? So what would I do for my hamstring? You know, the All Blacks had the best physio in the world. You go to him, you trust his advice, you follow it, and he gets you back on the track. Same thing for my brain. So I started seeking out tools and techniques that were going to keep me well. And I learned what I call my daily mental health plan. And I put that first. And if people say, oh, what do you mean you put it first? Well, I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better workmate. I'm a better friend. And I'm a better me if I put my mental health plan first. So that's how important it is for me. That was a pretty long-winded bloody answer, mate. Sorry. Man, I love that though. No, no, no. I love that. I love that. Talk to me more about this mental health care plan. I'm on the same page as you. And I think a lot of people who are probably listening think that if I've got my own mental health care plan or if I prioritize me, it's selfish. There's a lot of that that goes around. But let's just get straight to it here, JK. What is in your mental health care plan? And I understand it's probably going to be different to other people's, but what's in yours? Yeah, so I always remember how it started. And I want you to write down one thing dot d-o-t dot and i'll get back to that right so i go and see my mum and i said mum i'm dead inside right i'm dead inside i said to her i'm walking around i've got no emotions i'm flat i can't find joy don't enjoy anything i'm dead she said well the good thing about your dead boy is you're still here right and you need to start again and i didn't think i could start again like i was living in the past and in the future so i was worried about what was happening yesterday and I'm wanting to get JK back. So I'm worried when he's going to come back. Because when you're in this world, it's like you're another human being. So I wanted my old self back. I think I might have got a better version. But anyway, mum said to me, smell the roses, right? And and our, our generation's mum and dad used to use sayings a lot. A lot of metaphors. Yeah. So I didn't have anything to look forward to in my life, in my day, in my world, right? And so I decided that the shower was going to be my smelling of the roses. Now, it's really interesting because I'll ask you, did you have a shower this morning or when was the last time you had a shower? I had a shower this morning. Okay. Were you completely present or were you thinking about the podcast you've got to do, the emails you've got to do, the past, the future? And so I had nothing to look forward to. So what mum taught me was enjoy that for two minutes. Feel the water. And that's actually starting to be mindful. So all of a sudden, I absolutely loved that shower. And while my day was shit, I was starting to look forward to the shower. So that gave me some hope. And then I went to the psychiatrist and I'm standing in front of her and she said to me, JK, you take an antidepressant, which I hated myself for. And that's another story too. I hated myself for taking antidepressants. And she said to me, JK, the antidepressants will give you some balance to work on your illness. But would you like to learn some tools to help you attack anxiety i went shit yeah you know and i'm thinking 
that she's going to tell me this really complicated shit, you know? And she said, you need to learn how to breathe. And I went, are you kidding me? I'm standing in front of you, you know, my cynical mind. Are you kidding me? I'm alive. I'm standing in front of you, you idiot. Like I thought I'd say, are you a real doctor or what? You know what I'm saying? And she said, no, JK, breathing is the most important thing you will learn for attacking your anxiety. By then, I had accepted my illness and I accepted that I wanted to learn. So she taught me how to breathe. And pre my illness, I used to love flying. During my illness, I hated it because I'd get anxiety attacks. And then post, I love flying again because actually what I started to do was breathe deeply into my stomach, learned how to breathe properly through my nose, out through my mouth. And what I didn't know, and this is important for men especially to try and understand, is that that stands your amygdala down, right? We haven't changed as humans for a few thousand years. So what happens when you start breathing is that your amygdala stands down. There's no threat. I sort of explain it like this. Like I read this book also called Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. And it's a really, really interesting book, quite scientific, quite hard work. So if you don't want to read it, I'll save you the $29.99 and tell you very quickly what I learned. Give me an elevator pitch, would you? Yeah, here we go. So there's a zebra on the savannah desert, right? And it is eating grass. Out of the bush comes a lion trying to eat its ass for breakfast. They have this massive chase. The zebra gets away. What does it do? Goes back to eating grass. What do we do? How was I living? I was worried about all the lions in the bush, man. My amygdala was never going down. Always worrying the fear, the fear. Yeah, living in that fear, right? And that fear right now is COVID. That fear is not having control. That fear is like 50 emails a day or whatever your world is in. So as humans right now, we're in the state of anxiety all the time. Whereas breathing, right? Breathing actually absolutely helps you drop your amygdala, live in the moment, right? It's a relaxation technique. Yeah, totally. And I do it five or six times a day before I go to sleep. I do a breathing exercise. So I've got a monkey brain. Do you know what a monkey brain is? I don't. It's really, really active mind, right? Okay, sounds like mine. So if you can meditate, meditation is the greatest thing that you can learn. But when I tried to meditate, I could never do it. And I always felt like I'd failed, right? So I go back to my psychiatrist and she goes, oh, you, you've got a ruminating mind, right? I can't even spell ruminating. So I just call it Bob the monkey, right? So the interesting thing about Bob the monkey is if I have a paused moment or if I do stuff where there's quiet time, he's off, mate. He's thinking about all sorts of shit, right? Whereas when I breathe and I'm what you call an active relaxer. So Bob absolutely hates reading, right? So when I read, Bob goes into his cave, has a banana and goes to sleep. So if I read and breathe before I go to sleep, Bob falls asleep, I fall asleep, we're all good, right? I also cook. So cooking is very therapeutic for me. And the best way I explain it is we have more inputs in one day today than our parents had in a lifetime. So what do you do when your computer craps out? You turn it off and you turn it on again. And 95% of the time it works. Our brains are no different. So my brain, I need to unplug it, plug it back in five or six times a day. So for Bob the monkey, I either read, I cook, or I play the guitar. I've been playing the guitar since COVID. It sounds like I'm killing a cat in the lounge, but I don't give a mate, shit. it's all about learning. Stepping out of that comfort zone, mate. You've done that your whole life. Yeah, exactly. And also Bob hates it. So half an hour playing the guitar, Bob's just in his cage, not thinking about shit. 
So that's unplugging the computer. I, I love how you explain. So it's funny because you, you, you're talking about this alter ego in a way. It's almost like your anxiety. You've named it Bob the Monkey. This brain that goes on a tangent and thinks and worries and overthinks and all that. I got a friend actually that wrote a book called Sort Your Shit Out, and he has his same alter ego. He refers to as Bob. It's kind of funny, but you and I, in terms of how we manage our anxiety and whatnot, seems very similar. I'm a very much of an active relaxer, but I've never been able to do meditation until this year. I really have been trying my absolute ass out to get it not so much right, because it's not about doing it right or wrong. It's just about trying it, right? And I do 10 minutes of meditation every day, and I honestly, it's changed my life and breathing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I do four seconds in. Whenever I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed or I feel like my mind's thinking about what I have to do next or in two hours when really it should be focusing on this moment right here and right now with you, in this instance, JK, I would literally go, Sam, in my mind, you're thinking about thoughts or something that is just a thought and it's not even important right now. And then I bring myself back to almost like a reset, like you mentioned about unplugging yourself from the machine is like, breathing so i'd do four seconds in i would hold for four seconds and then i release on an eight count and i i swear by that i could do five of those back to back those breaths and then return to a normal breathing and i feel completely in my parasympathetic nervous system my amygdala is absolutely quietened down my limbic system is is a lot lower i'm no longer in survival mode and man my psychologist tells me all the time bro you're just surviving he goes, it's not a pleasant place to be when you're always on edge and you, you just can't sort of settle down unless you have a drink or you go for a run or, you know, you play the guitar or you do your acting. It's about finding the things that you're comfortable with, but also that work for you because they're all different for everyone else. Oh, amen, brother. Amen, brother. And that's what I say. Welcome 
welcome to the church of well-being because I think what you said is really, really important, right? So when you said, what is your daily mental health plan? And when I said to you, dot, dot is just do one thing, do one thing. And then when you've done dot, do that, do another thing. So I started, right, with the shower. The second thing I did is I stopped and I drink my coffee in a porcelain cup. I don't have a phone with me and I taste the coffee. Then if you think about my breathing, I breathe six times a day. So the breathing you've just spoken about, I do that and I put, every time I get in the motor car, I do that. Or every time I feel a bit of tension in my shoulders, I do that, okay? So, so far I've had a shower, I've had a cup of coffee and just enjoyed the moment. I've breathed already three times a day, okay? I walk incredibly slowly from A to B because our minds have sped up. 100 miles an hour, man. 100 miles an hour. Everyone's going from A to B 100 miles an hour, right? I live in a city, and yesterday, one of our native birds in a tree sang just to me. And it sang to me because I was walking slowly. I saw the tree. I looked up in the tree, and I saw the bird, and it sang just to me. Obviously, it didn't. But when you're going from A to B, man, Walk slow because people will smile at you. You'll see shit. And who cares if you're 40 seconds later, right? Tonight, I will cook a meal and I'm really looking forward to it. Will you eat it slowly as well or just like normal? Or do you put down the fork and... Yeah, no, I eat normally. I haven't worked on that yet because I love my food. I'm a scoffer. But the process of getting it to the table is really good because I think about how I'm going to cook it and I go through that process, right? Then tonight, I'm going to read a book. Also, every morning I do half an hour. I'm an old bastard now, and I want to surf till I'm 90. So I have a trainer who comes in in the morning for half an hour, and we do these cord exercises, flexibility exercises. I'm a shit surfer, by the way, but... At least you're trying, man. That's what it's all about. You can't be good at everything, bro. All of this, mate, leads you on to your passion and your movement. And, and I really want to talk about the projects that you've launched. You've spearheaded on the ground over in NZ and, and you're, you're taking on workplaces and you're hopeful of, you know, launching it big time in Australia. And you want to, you've got this audacious, bold goal to help 100 million people and save, what, 100,000 lives or a million lives. Mate, this is huge. Talk to us about Mentimia you know, and what, what you're setting out to achieve and how does that work for you, mate? So I woke up five years ago and I read the local paper and felt like I'd completely failed. And failure was something that I used to run from, I was scared from, and it used to scare the shit out of me. In fact, it was probably one of my big motivations, which is really bad. But now I love failure. I think, I think failure is an amazing thing. It's a great learning tool. Yeah, exactly. And what happened was I, I picked up the paper and two things happened. Mental health was going into the Self Health and Safety Act. So I knew that it was a massive problem that the government could not deal with anymore. And they needed to hand some of that over to businesses. So I thought that was a real positive. The second thing I read was our suicide rate. So in New Zealand, by the end of the day, a New Zealand male will be dead. By tomorrow evening, two males and one female. Last year, 800,000 people committed suicide. This is a pandemic, man. We're living in two pandemics. One of them is COVID. The other one is the mental health of the world. So I felt like I'd failed. I mean, I've been the face of this. I've done TV ads. 
I uh, was part of a, a thing called depression.org.nz, which was the first ever online tool to go in the safety of your home and get some help. And it's still really popular, but the government had not invested in, in the technology. So when I feel failure, instead of hiding it, I sit it on my knee and give it a cuddle and say, right, I've learned from this. What do I need to do next? And so I decided that if mental health is going to the Health and Safety Act, how can I deliver prevention, right? Because all our mental health stuff is ambulance to the bottom of the cliff. So if I had learned the shit that I now live by pre-getting unwell, would I have got unwell? And I don't believe I would have. So understanding the science, having the tools and techniques, knowing what they do and implementing them in my day, I don't think I would have got as unwell as I do. So I saw being able to deliver that through a world-class, world-changing app, but also going into the workplace, it's no use fixing the fish if the water's polluted, right? So what I wanted to do was also create how businesses can actually put mental health genuinely on their agenda. You know, people say to me, JK, do you love Mental Health Week? And I go, not really. Every week's a Mental Health Week. You know what I'm saying? I think it's great for the highlighting, it, but this needs to become normal because I think it's the future too, Sam. Like if you're a leader of the future, the future is about people. We don't need any more tools in our life to organize our shit. We've got this thing talking to that thing and that thing talking to this thing. And But what we need is we need daily mental health plans. We need to put mental health into the workplace. We need to look after our people. And I believe that if we're going to solve this problem, then we need to make a for-profit business where we come into your business and we help your business be more profitable because people are better you, you know you've got more retention you've got people feeling good about themselves they feel connected because if we can do that then i believe we can reach 100 million people and save 100,000 lives and the way we do that is by teaching people hey man what you and i've been through man this is normal shit but you don't have to go through it if you put your daily mental plan and try your stuff Understand what it does for you. Learn breathing, learn all these things, and then put them in your day. Because the hardest thing to change is habitual, right? But if we put it on your agenda and you're allowed to do this shit at work, let's all stop and breathe. Let's all look after ourselves today. You'll get that back tenfold. So that was the motivation. I was very, very fortunate early in the piece, mate, to meet my business partner, Adam Clark. He's had a very, very strong tech background. He was as passionate as me as helping people. So he was one of the early developers of internet banking for the cell phone. He brought the technology with him. And so during COVID, we decided to give it away free. So give me an example. Give me an example. I'm a person, I'm a workplace right now that's listening. How, how can someone engage in it? Like what does the actual program or the offering do? Like is it a team of people that come out? Is it all via a digital offering? Like just give me a really basic top line demo, so to speak. Yeah, so pretty much we've created the app to be your personalized mental health tool, and that's yours personally, right? So we've got incredible tech behind it. It'll personalize itself to you. Obviously, incredibly secure. We've got some of the best protections. So what happens is it starts learning you, starts understanding you, starts helping you with your daily mental health plan. You can put it in your day. But then what we do is we come into the business and we launch and then we upskill the leaders about embedding mental health onto the agenda, embedding it into the system. And then we also have the technical tools to know how the work's feeling. So how does your work feel? Are there pressure points that you need to intervene? So we go in and we help embed and then we help the business make it a ritual. 
So like you've just explained to me, you know, your meditation is now a ritual because you're starting to feel good about it. I'm seeing results and it becomes, it's, it's a priority for me now because I know without that, part of who I am suffers and I don't want that to happen because I'm not as good to my fiance. I'm not as good to my friends. I'm not as good, you know, to myself. And, and I think that's most important for me these days too. So it becomes a ritual, right? And it makes you a better person. So you imagine that in the workplace where you go to your workplace and they have mental health rituals that make you feel good, that make you feel that you belong. Yeah, there's still got to be hard conversations, my man. Like in the All Blacks, we sort of called it performance care. Like you still got to win the footy game, man. But which comes first, the care or the performance? And I think in business, the performance has always come first. Whereas in rugby, great side, you, you've got to have the care in equal amounts to get the performance now. And I believe that in the workplace, you've got to have an equal amounts care to get equal amounts performance. And so that's what meant to me is I also out of this failure day that I had created a foundation. And what we have done is I've raised money. Some beautiful people have given me their money. And I gave that to the Auckland University. Well, we facilitated for a year, right? And we facilitated for a year about what does mental health education look like for our kids? Because like I said, mine was one flow of the cuckoo's nest, right? And so we created a program called Mighty. We're in 20 schools at the moment. And the learnings about facilitating this is I got different people in the room. Because often when you look at a problem, you look at it with the same type of people. So I got tech entrepreneurs, child psychiatrists, marketing managers. And we put them all in a room and said, right, how do we do this? And we came up with a program called Mighty, which is a curriculum-based program that goes into schools. But we supply the coach. So the coach goes into the school and helps co-design it with that school. With the teachers or the teachers? Yep, yep, totally. Yeah, right. And where, where are you based? Where is this based? Like whereabouts in New Zealand are you? We're in Auckland at the moment. We've got a couple of schools outside Auckland, but we have 1,200 primary schools. So within five years, I'd like to be in them all. Okay, so on that note, because, you know, living our audience, we deliver a living well program, which is unreal. We basically sell it to corporates or workplaces. By the funding that we get that, we were able to deliver it free into schools all around the country in Australia. So it's a really good social impact strategy that we achieved. But in saying that, like if you're in New Zealand, you're a school, so you supply the facilitator? Do they come into the school and work with the teachers? How does that work, like from a student point of view? Yeah, exactly. So what we learned for facilitating for a year is schools don't need any more pressure on them, on their resources, either human or financially. And that if you want to create something in this modern world, then it needs to be co-designed. See, mental health's not prejudice, man. Right? It gets everyone. But if you want to create something, for example, we have a, a really beautiful and quite big Pacifica community. So it's no use going in and saying one size fits all. So how do we co-design that? So what so what the curriculum has the ability to do is be co-designed. So our coach goes in to the schools and helps co-design it. And then they help the teachers upskill into this. And it's curriculum-based. So you can follow the curriculum online as well. And they co-design it for their school. And then we move out when that school is, is okay. Yeah, okay, mate. That's great. I love that. I really love that. And I'm going to check it out more. Oh, mate, you're doing awesome work. Over the years... JK, with everything that you, you've done and some great high points, no doubt, throughout your career in footy. And, and I'm sure you've probably had amazing, probably higher points with, with what you're doing right now is saving people's lives. Like you can't get anything better than that. And it comes at a cost, obviously, at times. And 
And I know that you practice a lot of self-care and you put yourself first and you've got this amazing health care plan or wellness plan or safety plan, whatever we want to call it. People have a, have a name for that, whatever it is. What's been your biggest learning thing that you've sort of taken away from everything throughout your life so far? Never stop learning. Never stop learning? Never stop learning, yeah. You know, I got brought up to say that zebras don't change its stripes, but I have... Uh, I'm reading, reading this book at the moment called Breathe. And it's just this amazing book about breathing through your nose. I won't go into the details, but the learning and I'm going to try stuff for my well-being. So I can keep growing. I can keep learning. I can change myself. You know, when I talked about Bob the monkey and the worry mat, right? You know, I I learned to worry mat because I used to play rugby and I was worried about being dropped, all that sort of stuff. And I learned to worry mat. Well, I call it a worry mat, but it was actually the beginning of cognitive behavior therapy. And I actually learned that I can rewire my brain, that I can change who I am, that sometimes my feelings are just that. I don't need to grab and, you know, run with them. I've learned to sit with my emotions, man. Like I was too scared to be angry. I was too scared to cry. I was too scared to feel sad. When I was feeling happy, I felt guilty. Like, all this weird shit. Yeah, man, it's crazy, isn't it, how it works? Like, when you're happy, you, it almost feels like you feel guilty or something, or something bad's going to happen. It's crazy, eh, how grab and gravitate onto thoughts at times. Yeah. I learned a really important lesson really early in the piece, right? So I went to my psychiatrist and said, would you like to try self-hypnosis? And I went, wow, man, you got to realize that this is the 80s. No one was even doing yoga, brother. But like, if you're doing yoga, you're a bloody hippie, you know what I'm saying? Lululemon, shit, no one heard of that shit. So for me to hear about self-hypnosis, I go, wow, that's unreal. So anyway, cut a long story short, she says, what do you love doing? I said, I used to love surfing and now I don't. You know, sort of depression's taken my joy away. Uh, and I always feel like, we just, I always feel sad, you know, like I always feel morbid. Even when I'm happy, I'm waiting for this shit to come back into my life. So anyway, she said, right, I'll teach you how to do self-hypnosis. So I did this breathing, did this thing with my arm. And in my mind, she said, well, I'll take you surfing. So, you know, I put the board shorts on, run down the beach. You know, the the water, water's beautiful. Paddle out, two to three foot perfection. Surf like a surf god. You know, wow, it was awesome. She brings me out of it and I felt amazing. So anxiety and depression for me was like putting a vice on my head or a, sh- or a cloud coming over me. And that was gone. So I went home, said to my girlfriend, who's now my wife, I'm going to try that. So Early that night, go upstairs, do the same thing, do the breathing, put the board shorts on, run down the beach, feel the water, beautiful paddle out, two to three foot perfection, four sharks in the water, shat myself and go straight out. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean, JK, four sharks in the water? So I go back to her and I said, what is that shit? What is that fear? Why was that circling me? And she said to me, JK, they're your sharks. And you need to talk to them, get them smaller, get the teeth out of them, get them out of the water. And I'll, I'll tell you quickly, one of my biggest sharks was a dumb shark. I've never passed an exam in my life. I got told I was dumb at school. My teachers told me I was dumb. My mates told me I was dumb. So I thought I was dumb. So I'd walk into room, feel inferior. I'm dumb. What am I doing here? I'm just lucky. You think I'm dumb? No, I don't think you're you dumb. You think I'm dumb, mate? No, no, no. I don't think Doesn't you're... matter. Doesn't matter. And this is the really interesting thing for people who are trying to help other people with some mental health issues. Doesn't matter what anyone said to me. I believed it. And until I actually spoke to that shark, worked out why I felt that way, got rid of it out of the water, now I don't give a shit because I actually got rid of that shark. You know, I had an imposter syndrome. I scored a, one of the tries. They say it's one of the best tries scored in rugby in 1987 World Cup. I came off the field wondering when the people were going to realize I was lucky and dropped me, right? 
Was I good enough? Yes, I was. But my mind, my shark was lying to me. And sometimes our shark, because if you're in the water with a shark chasing you, makes you swim fast. So some of my sharks have made me get to where I am. But the trouble is, it's going to catch you and start eating you. And that's what happened with me. And you know, I had a guilty shark. You know, I had an imposter shark. And once I started dealing with those things, I realized, shit, you can change. You know, our mind does lie to us at times and what is true and what is not true and, and just let those emotions go. You've summed it up perfectly, man. I mean, we all have sharks and we all have our own sharks in our own right. But the difference between dealing with those sharks and getting back on track so that we can start living again is getting the support and getting the help because a lot of people who are listening who tune into this episode at some stage that they might not know what help looks like because everyone's on a different level and I think the most important thing is to accept that when something's not feeling right or if you feel like these sharks are interfering in your life so to speak and it changes the way that you're thinking and behaving your relationships and I always urge and encourage a lot of people is to speak up because it ain't weak to speak. And you've said it right there, JK. It's important to, you know, get that support and get that help. And, you know, in turn, that's going to help you get back on track so that you can swim with the sharks instead of swimming away from the sharks. And it changes your life, you know? Totally. So I always like to let people know that there is a lot of help and support out there. And think of your brain as like thinking of your body when you go into the gym. It's no different. And if anything, man, I mean, your brain's more important than your body. I mean, if your brain's up to sh- up shit and you're in a rabbit hole and you can't think straight or you can't operate correctly, a lot of things in life are going to fall apart. You know, everything. Your brain is the most important thing. And I often think, I'm in Hollywood, right? My goal is to be a, a great actor, work full-time out here in Hollywood. Very, very audacious goal. I believe in myself. I put a lot of work and effort and training into, into what I do. But, you know, there's a fear of, you know, not, not achieving that. You know, if I'm always worried about that fear of not achieving that or not going after my dreams, where am I going to be? I'm going to be old. I'm going to be like, oh, I fucking let that shark beat me. And now I'm not even doing what I wanted to do, you know, in my life because I let that stop me from, from doing the things that I love. Like anything, mate, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And it's about finding that fit. But also trusting in yourself, I think, is a big part of it and accepting that as well. So my kids talk to me about this often. And... You know, my answer to that, Sam, is really, really simple. Like, there is no such thing as failure. You won't know unless you try. So there is no failure. And what I say to my son in sport, this is easier to explain. If you play third division all your life, you've been a great soccer player. To be a rugby player, the All Blacks the pinnacle, right? But it doesn't mean you're not a great rugby player. You are having a go. And you might know your level. And if that's still, you still should be proud of that. And that's what I say. There is no such thing as failure. But if you don't try, and if you're an old bastard like me and you're looking back on your life and you go, I wish I should have sacrificed a bit more or done a bit more or tried a bit harder, gone to live in bloody Hollywood and feel alone sometimes, you do all that and it doesn't quite work out, man, you gave it your best shot. That's not failure, brother. That'll just be a stepping stone into something else. You know what I'm saying? But we see those things and our brain tells us you can't fail, but that failure doesn't exist. It's just like should be taken out of our dictionary. Not trying is something we should be scared of. Mm. And we have control over that too. Amen. Amen. You know, before we wrap up this, I want to ask you one simple question. What are you most grateful for? What are you most grateful for? I am most grateful for the love that I have in my life. You know, I didn't reach out to anyone, and you mentioned it before, 
Sam, that it was the dumbest thing that I could have ever done because so many people loved me. And I was suffering in silence. And then when I reached out, that love came pouring out. And so I'm really, really appreciative of the love that I have in my life, my wife, my kids, my friend. And, you know, I, I had a bit of a trouble with God because I was brought up a Catholic and my priest and my parents told me that if I prayed, God will be there. And when I wanted to jump out of the window, I prayed and he wasn't there. Well, I didn't think he was there. But then when I actually sat down and told a priest about this one day, he said, you know, when you told your family, what happened? And I said, oh, they just showed me incredible love. They wrapped around me. How was your you know, wife or future wife? Oh, she was amazing. She really understood. You know, because depression can be a selfless illness, brother. You know, we're just trying to get through the day. So we push a lot of people away. You know, how were your friends when you spoke, finally spoke to them? They're amazing. And the priest said, so they showed you a lot of love. And I went, yep. And he said, God is love. That's it. And the devil is hate. So the thing I feel most fortunate about every single day is the love that I have in my life and how I can nurture love as well. Like if you look for love, you'll get it back in space. Amen to that, brother. Amen to that. You've just summed it up all perfectly, mate. Well, on that note, mate, you got to get onto your uh, your appointment and uh, go and get that sorted, mate. But I just want to thank you on behalf of myself and the entire team at Living. Thanks very much for your time today uh, on the side of the road there, wherever you are and in Auckland. Keep doing the great work that you're doing. We'll share this with the with the family and in our community. Mate, look forward to catching up with you and kicking some milestones either together or just watching watching you kick milestones from afar. Beautiful, mate. Just one dot thing could you do for me today? One dot for me? I can do one dot for you. Find some time for someone who you love and just go for a walk or something. Five minutes, whatever it is. And I just challenge everyone who's listening in to do that. This modern world is taking our time away. So find some time for you. Find some time for someone who you love because you can't get that back. Love that, man. Been a pleasure, Sam. Love you, man. Good luck, brother. Likewise, bro. Thanks so much. Keep up the great work, man, and we'll speak soon. You too, man. Thank you again for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. Please like, share, and spread the love to as many people as you can. Let people know that you subscribe to the show. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation could save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you, but in the meantime, stay well, keep living, and remember, it ain't weak to speak. Thank you and have a day. Hold up. What was that? 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.